Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Murray Montgomery's Lone Star Diary. Murray is a published author and syndicated newspaper columnist. He writes nonfiction stories about the Old West, most of them about cowboys and pioneers to the Lone Star State. Other true stories with an Old West flavor from all parts of America will also be included from time to time. Murray has been writing for some 20 years for the online magazine, Texas Escapes. So sit back and relax, and enjoy these true stories of Old Texas. Now, here's Murray. Hey everybody, I'm glad to be back with you again on one of my favorite subjects, the old cowboys in the old west. This is the podcast Lone Star Diary, and we haven't been here in a while, and I'm glad to be back with you to share these these old stories from the old west, most of them about Texas. And as the uh, introduction said, I've been writing for a long time and for 20 years for the online magazine TexasEscapes.com and I'd appreciate it if you'd go there sometime and look under my column which is Lone Star Diary and uh, I'd be happy if you'd read some of them and like them and, and give them a little love if you will. Well, friends, this time around, it's not going to be something I wrote. No, it's going to be something from a real cowboy. A real cowboy. And I hope you'll bear with me. But uh, this man had a lot to say about his life. And I'm going to give him the proper credit. And everything from now on until we reach the end of it will be written by Luther A. Lawhon. Luther A. Lawhon of San Antonio, Texas. And the title is... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His article is The Men Who Made the Trail. So now I'm quoting from Mr. Lawhorn. We can scarcely estimate the debt which we owe to the men who made the trail, lest we forget those pioneer settlers and ranchmen 
were not only empire builders, but were also the mud settlers upon which has been created that superb structure of productive wealth. Now, I'm intervening here, folks, for just a second, and I don't know what a mud siller is. Mr. Lawhorn spells that M-U-D-S-I-L-L-E-R-S. So maybe you folks that are listening, and this will be posted on Facebook and other places, perhaps you'll put in the comments if you know what that means. And if you come from an old ranching family, you might very well know what it means. Let's go back now and let's start quoting again Mr. Lawhorn. And here he says, The American livestock industry, as it exists today west of the Mississippi, it is indeed a far stretch from the domesticated, gentle, thoroughbred to the wild, untamable, Longhorn, but is it not well that at times we take a retrospective view and contrast the present with the past? By doing so, we may the better determine the extent to which this all-important industry has progressed with our geographical development and also incidentally kept alive the memories and the traditions of a bygone age. By a degree of good fortune, it fell to me to be reared from infancy to manhood in southwest Texas, in the midst of that favored section when it was one vast breeding ground for cattle and horses, and from which was afterward to be driven those herds that, moving across the prairies of Texas and through Indian Territory from 1869 to 1886, poured into the wild and unsettled area from Kansas to the British Dominions, in the days and in the section of which I treat the railroad, the telegraph and the telephone were unknown. A greater part of the land still belonged to the state and was prized in the main for the grasses which grew upon it. Fencing wire had not yet been invented, and in consequence the entire country, except where dotted with ranches, was unfenced and uncontrolled, a common pasture in which thousands of horses and cattle roamed at will. In imagination reverting again to those bygone scenes, I still endeavor to describe briefly some of the conditions which surrounded the old-time Texas ranchman and his peculiarities and his customs. The country at large was sparsely settled. In a majority of the counties, there was barely sufficient population for county organization. The largest, and in most instances, the only town in the county was the county seat village with its rock or lumber courthouse, which was rarely of two stories and nearby a one-cell rock or lumber jail. Around the public squares were built 
the few unpretentious storehouses that flaunted the proverbial signs, dry goods and grocers, or dry goods, boots and shoes, as the case might be. That the weakness as well was the social prediction of the sturdy citizenships might be readily and conveniently catered to. A saloon, or perhaps several, could always be found on or near the public square, clustered about the commercial center and growing farther apart as the distance increased, were private homes which went to make up the hamlet. After the courthouse and jail, the hotel, generally a two-story building, was considered to be the most important as it was frequently the most imposing structure in the village. In addition to the official and business edifices, there was always a well-constructed schoolhouse. There were no free schools in those days, and a commodious, comfortable church house at convenient distances. I purposely use a church house in the singular, for in the days under consideration, the tabernacle of the Most High was a union structure, erected by the joint contributions of the various and divergent church members, as well of the philanthropic citizens with no who made no professions, and in which those pioneer men and women, with their families, irrespective of denomination, met together with good and honest hearts, and worshiped God in spirit and in truth. Such, in brief, was the frontier village, and beyond its confines the country, as stated, was unfenced and uncontrolled. Luxuriant grasses and fragrant wildflowers covered the prairie, hill, and valley for two-thirds of the year, and herds of cattle and horses grazed in every direction, and each ranchman, by his mark and brand, was enabled to identify his stock and secure its increase. Trained to the range and keen of eye as they were, the old-time ranchmen and their cowboys would necessarily fail to find some of the year's increase as they worked this vast territory. As a result, there was a small percentage yearly of unmarked and unbranded calves. These animals, after being weaned from the mother cows, would thenceforth be abroad on the prairies, the property of whomsoever found and branded them, and in the cowboy perlants were called mavericks. The name has its origin in the fact that Mr. Sam Maverick, now deceased, an honored and wealthy citizen of San Antonio, was the owner of a large brand of cattle that ranged throughout southwest Texas. During the Civil War, he was unable to brand up the increase in his stock, and in consequence, there was a marked augmentation of unbranded and unmarked cattle on the range from San Antonio to the coast. This fact and the cause of it was a matter of general knowledge throughout this section. Therefore, when the old ranchman and his cowboys in this territory 
Found an unmarked, unbranded yearling or two-year-old on the range, it was assumed that the animal had at one time been the property of the San Antonio citizen, Mr. Maverick. Hence, the term Maverick soon became universal as a designation for an animal who roamed on the open prairie. And now we'll continue in the words of this old ranching cowboy. And he follows with this. The Roundup with its chuck wagon, its high-priced chef and bill of fare, a la carte, had not yet been introduced. Those old-time ranchmen were content to simply cow hunt once a year or twice a year and brand their calves. As a rule, those whose ranches were the nearest hunted together and thereby made up an outfit. Their provisions, flour, coffee, and dried beef with the bedding was loaded on a pack horse which was driven with the saddle ponies. They worked the country and branded throughout the day and camped at night where water was in abundance and where grass was good. There was an unwritten law recognized by the good women of the town, as well as of the country, that whenever a party of cow hunters rode up and asked to have bread baked, it mattered not the time of day. The request was to be cheerfully complied with, not for fear of or insult in case of refusal, for each and every cowboy was the champion defender of womanhood and would have scorned to have uttered a disrespectful word in her presence. My father was a lawyer, and therefore my boyhood home was in the village. But I remember the many times that cow hunters rode up to my father's house and telling my mother they were out of bread and asked if she would kindly bake their flour for them. Everything was at once made ready. The sack was filled from the pack horse and brought in. And in due time, the bread wallets were once more filled with freshly cooked biscuits. And the cowboys rode away with grateful appreciation. These acts of consideration on the part of my mother were entirely gratuitous. But the generous-hearted cowboys would always leave either a half a sack of flour or a money donation as a free will offering. And Mr. Lawhorn continues now. One of the cardinal virtues of the old time ranchman was hospitality. This committable trait was not alone possessed by him, 
but was an attribute of his entire family. The cordial welcome was not restricted to nearby neighbors, friends, and acquaintances, but was as freely extended to the stranger within the gates. The wayworn traveler was never turned aside, and while a guest at the ranch did illness overtake him, the watchful vigils and tender hands of the ranchman's wife and daughters ministered to his sufferings as though he was one of the family until his health was restored and he was sent on his way rejoicing. The wife of the old-time ranchman, how kind and how considerate she was. It mattered not that at the approach of every full moon the saddle horses were rounded up and more closely guarded and the guns and pistols on the ranch were overhauled and minutely inspected in anticipation of an Indian raid. There was no excitement or complaint on her part, and amidst the dangers and deprivations of frontier environment, she gathered her little ones close about her, and with faith in God and reliance on the strong arm of a husband, neighbors, and friends, she went forward uncomplaining with the stern duties of life. All honor to those noble mothers in Israel. And we'll pause here for a second. Let me take a breath or two. And just hang tight, folks. And now we'll resume with Mr. Lawhorn's story. And he continues, The methods of business were in keeping with the primitive conditions of society. There were no banks in the country. Owing to this fact, every ranch home was the depository of more or less money. The coin, if of considerable amount, was put in saddlebags and secreted in remote corners of the house or up under the roof, or buried on or near the premises, and was brought forth from its hiding places as occasion demanded. A somewhat ludicrous incident arose from this peculiar custom. One of the old-timers, whose ranch was near the, the line of Corns and Goliad counties, finding himself with considerable money on hand and having no immediate use for it, decided to bury it. Choosing an especially, especially dark night, he went down to his cow pen and removing one of the posts of the fence, he dropped his bag of gold in the post hole. He then replaced the post and returned, satisfied that he had put his treasure where moth rust could not corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. After considerable time had passed, he found himself in a position where he needed to use his secret fund. But unfortunately, he had failed to note the particular post under which he had buried his money. 
and all signs of his former visit having been obliterated, he was compelled to dig up a half of his cap in before he secured the coveted deposit. When the ranchmen bought stock of any kind, they brought the money in gold and silver to where the animals were to be received and paid it out dollar for dollar. They generally carried the money in leather belts buckled around their waist. But the silver, being more bulky, was placed in ducking sacks and was loaded on a pack horse or mule. It was necessary in those days to know the weight as well as the value of money, and therefore it was a matter of current knowledge that $1,000 in silver weighed 62 and one-half pounds. Robbery was a crime unknown among those rugged and honest old pioneers. Brave, hospitable, and generous, the old-time ranchman believed in justice, simple justice, stripped of all technicalities of law. According to his ethics, the man who would forsake a friend or go back on his word was a scoundrel and a thief, and it mattered not who he was, and he had forfeited his right to live. But those nice distinctions of judicial import, murder in the first or second degree, manslaughter, etc., did not appeal to him. In the enforcement of the code, he did not subscribe to the theory that an accused would be morally in innocent and at the same time, same time legally guilty of a crime. When a killing occurred, he asked, was there a grudge between them and was it a fair fight? If so, he could not understand why when the best shot or the coolest nerve had slain his, his adversary, that the great state of Texas should want to prosecute and punish the survivor. And as a juror, he would not be partly to such prosecution and punishment. He would not be a party to it. In illustration of his personal application and influence in the enforcement of law, I am reminded of the following occurrence. One of the old-time ranchmen and forceful characters in southwest Texas was a certain Captain Blank. He had been at the head of a vigilante committee which, which had hung a number of men under his personal supervision. He was well known throughout his section as a firm, fearless, and implacable leader. During the progress of a murder trial in his home county, he was summoned to attend as a special juryman. In due time, he was called to the stand, and the district attorney propounded the statutory question, Have you any conscientious scruples in regard to the infliction of the punishment of death for crime? To the surprise of the district attorney as well as of all those present, Captain Blank replied, I have then noting that incredulous smile on the faces of the audience, he turned to the court and said, Judge, it's this way. I don't want to hang a man unless I got something against him. The old-time ranchman never turned a deaf ear to a worthy appeal. 
His generosity and his warm-heartedness knew no bounds. On the other hand, he would not tamely submit to what he considered an unjust imposition. With the Hampton spirit, it was not the mount, but the principle for which he was ever ready to fight, and if need be, to the death. The following will perhaps serve to illustrate this phase of his character. One of the cowboys on the Southwest Texas ranch in the olden time, when gas was a principal municipal alumnus, he decided to go up to San Antonio for a few days and see the sights, and incidentally, pike a little at, at the bull's head or the white elephant gambling tables. In due time, he returned to the ranch. The boys gathered around him to learn what had been his experiences in the big town, and after recounting at some length the incident of his soldier, he casually remarked, Fellers, I came down damn near to having to kill a hotel keeper. Why, how was that, Bill? queried his auditors. Well, it was this way, explained Bill. The first night I was there, when I got ready to go to bed, a person showed me up to my room and lit the light. On looking around, I saw a great big sign tacked to the wall saying, don't blow out the gas. And of course then I didn't blow it out, being as it was said not to. I just let the light burn and by pulling my head over my face, managed to sleep tolerable well. The next morning, when I went to settle my bill, that low-down hotel keeper tried to charge me $2 extra because I didn't blow out the gas. He sure did. And just looked that hotel keeper in the eye and I told him I'd fight him till hell froze over and then skate with him on the ice before I'd pay one cent of that $2. And I meant just what I said. The boys all unanimously agreed that if Bill had killed that hotel keeper under the circumstances, it would have been a clear case of justifiable homicide. Such were some of the conditions, characteristics, and peculiarities of a society now long since passed away. To conclude, in 1880, a combination of circumstances gave me the long-coveted opportunity to go up the trail. I was one of Mr. Cal Mayfield's outfit with a herd of 1,000 head of horses. Our party, with but one exception, was composed of Corns County boys. We left the hill pasture in Live Oak County for the long and difficult drive to Dodge City, Kansas. After a halt of three days in the vicinity of Fort Worth, where the chuck wagon was replenished with food sufficient to sustain us to our destination, we virtually bid adieu to civilization and moved into the wild section of Northeast Texas and on and on through the Indian ter Territory, crossing the Red River at Dawn's Crossing until at last, after many hardships, after many hardships, 
and exciting experiences, we again enjoyed the comfort of God's land in the frontier town of Caldwell, Kansas. The year above mentioned was one of the worst ever known on the trail. Storms, rain, and lightning. We had our first stampede in the Blue Mounds country, north of Fort Worth, and from there on, it was a run night after night, but with short intermissions. When we had crossed the Cimarron River out of the Indian Territory and came to where the Dodge and Caldwell trails forked, Mr. Mayfield decided to follow the latter trail, as Caldwell was somewhat nearer. After resting up at Caldwell for a few days, the herd was split up and I was assigned to go with a bunch which was loaded on the cars and shipped to Kansas City. From there, back to Texas and home. In closing this article, I crave the reader's pardon for what may have been an unwarranted intrusion of personal feeling. But the old-time ranchman, his bravery, his rugged honesty, and the nobility of his character is a theme which is near and dear to me. The purest, sweetest droughts of happiness that I have quaffed in this life were drawn in those good old days. When as a boy and as a young man, I dwelt in the little village of Helena, the then county seat of Corns County in southwest Texas, in the midst of a noble pioneer people, among who were many of the men who made the trail. Time's cruel hand has wrought many changes. The silken ties of early association have been severed for years but the treasured memories of that golden time have been kept green in my heart throughout every change of fortune. These hallowed recollections, these hallowed recollections have walked with me thus far and will continue so to do to the end of the chapter. And then he goes on with this. This is how he finished it up. I don't know if it was like a little poem or what, but he says, Let fate do her worst. There are relics of joy. Bright bright dreams of the past, which she cannot destroy, which come in the nighttime of sorrow and care, and bring back the features that joy used to wear. Long, long be my heart with such memories filled Let the vase in which roses have since been distilled. You may break, you may shatter the vase, if you will, but the scent of the roses will cling round about it still. And that's all, folks, from this gentleman. He, uh, his name again was Luther A. Lawhorn of San Antonio, Texas, and I guess that's where he lived when he wrote this article. And I know it was long, and maybe my mispronunciation of some words might have made it worse, but I think from these words of a, an eyewitness gentleman who lived through it, it's a piece of history, and it's, it's not fiction. It's not fiction, my friends. 
So I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be coming back to you soon with with some more stories, be they not be quite that long. But it tells you it tells you of a time past when when we should all remember what our ancestors did in those days. And driving those cattle up those trails, I can't imagine it. You know, go out at night during the most terrible spring storm and tornadoes and lightning and think about these fellas with those large herds of cattle living out under the stars with no shelter whatsoever. God bless them. God bless them all. Thanks, folks, for listening. And I'll be back with you again on down the road. God bless Texas. Goodbye, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.